0: Hello, and welcome to episode number 20 of Stride and Saunter. I'm one of your hosts. Kip Clark and
1: I am Hector Moreira.
0: and today we're going to be talking about video game protagonists now to clarify to our listeners Hector and I consider ourselves avid gamers we've been playing video games for a while now and I think it's something he and I have in common and have bonded over but like any form of entertainment or arguably art there's a lot to discuss there are a lot of factors involved and so we didn't want to examine video games as a whole because there are a lot of pieces so for this episode specifically we are going to examine video game protagonists, how we as players interact with video game protagonists, what roles they take on, how they make us as players feel, and other related issues and ideas. So Hector, first I would ask you, do you remember the first game you ever played and the first video game protagonist? If it was a game that had a story with a protagonist, obviously games like Tetris, which are very famous, don't have protagonists because they don't really have stories or settings like that. They don't have plot, but can you remember the first video game protagonist you played as?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if this is the first video game that I ever played, but one of the earliest, and it might be the first, was Sonic Adventure 2 or Sonic the Hedgehog 2 Mm -hmm. um, for Sega Genesis. And yeah, that was a side-scroller game. It was pretty difficult. I actually was never able to get past the second level, which was the chemical plant zone. It was very difficult. But it was a lot of fun to play, and I liked that it was two-player, so you could play as both Sonic the Hedgehog and Tails. So usually my brother would play as Tails. And yeah, that that was an enjoyable game. That was for the Sega Genesis. And what was your first video game that
0: you That's played? a good question. I mean, I'm trying to think. Yeah, it would either be one of the earliest Legend of Zelda games mm-hmm. on the Game Boy, that is. It was called Link's Awakening, and you play as Link, who interestingly enough in that game has amnesia. He wakes up from a shipwreck and doesn't actually know where he is, and amnesia or loss of memory in any capacity is a very important theme for a lot of video game protagonists that I think is a very useful storytelling device and often comes through so it's either that or one of the earliest Super Mario games on the Game Boy, Super Mario Land, either one or two in which Mario is of course the protagonist also interesting both characters made by nintendo for those that don't know both game series belong to nintendo they are nintendo's property and under nintendo's license but both link who is sort of an elvish hero uh, wielding a sword and shield and mario the classic italian plumber neither talk both sort of use brief phrases maybe but for the most part they're both silent and that's another thing we'll touch on when we talk about other protagonists that have been memorable to us. So specifically with Sonic the Hedgehog, do you remember any lines that stood out or any moments in the story? Does Sonic talk? I've heard of Sonic. I don't know if I've ever actually played a Sonic game. Is he vocal or expressive in that game, to your memory?
1: In later variations, he's much more vocal. He actually talks quite a bit, but in this original one, I don't think he said anything else other than, yeah, and uh, sticking out a thumbs up in the beginning of the game. Also, it wasn't really much of a story, the game. It mm-hmm. was, you would beat two levels. Each each world would have two parts to it. The first one, you just try to race through this map as quickly as possible, and the second one, you race through the map, and then you fight Eggman. But yeah, he didn't, he didn't really say anything. But you know mario i think is a little more uh, audible or at least definitely he, he has he says jumpings, things right uh, jumping sounds yeah he
0: says like woohoo um yeah and yeah and in in later games it is interesting i think things have progressed towards being more verbal i would also say something that's interesting to me is that as the technology has developed it has allowed the protagonist to develop because originally there were much more I guess primitive computer chips and processing abilities that didn't allow for more complex characters to be coded into these games. And I think that's a very important detail to keep in mind. So obviously not all protagonists back in the day could have been as complex. Um, I think a lot of speech given by protagonists in earlier games was done through text bubbles because it doesn't take much processing power to code text, you can just sort of make the images, and in later games there's voice acting, which is really interesting and something that's often fascinated me because these people record tons of lines for characters that aren't right there in front of them. They have to sort of imagine what the character's gonna be saying or doing, and I find that to be very, very interesting. But I guess my next question to you would be, who was the next, or maybe who was a memorable protagonist that you played as in some of your gaming experience?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I played a lot of shooters when I was young like when I was really young. It's funny because I think there is a certain forgiveness you give to yourself when it comes to, you know, playing violent content or seeing, you know, violent kind of freaky content. And then there is a disconnect with how you perceive younger people. For example, I I imagine my cousins or young kids playing violent video games and I'm always taken aback by it. And then I think, wait a second, I've been playing violent video games since I was quite young. It's quite instilled in me, so it's a strange uh, feeling to have. But besides that, I was playing Doom when I was about five or six years old. And uh, one of the characteristics of Doom is that it differentiated itself from other shooters Well, Doom and Wolfenstein, which was another shooter made at the same time, um, differentiated themselves from other shooters in that they had the face of the protagonist on the HUD. Now to our listeners, a HUD is where you have your health bar, how much ammunition you have, if there are key cards available in the game that are important to the story, they're put there too.
0: There might be a map if you're navigating. Yeah, it's
1: a, a bar of information on the bottom of the page, and one of the bits of information in Doom was the face of the protagonist who would look left and he would look right and as your health decreased he would get bloodier and bloodier and also if you found these orbs that gave you unlimited health his eyes would turn golden so there was this connection you had with the protagonist and I played other shooters as well but that one I think remains memorable for me in part because you have this connection to the protagonist and that you're seeing his face as you're playing the game. Whereas in other games that were also shooters, you were just looking at the hands and the guns.
0: That's really interesting.
1: And so I wanted to ask you, Kip, how is it that you empathize with some of your favorite protagonists? Perhaps you could tell us about your next favorite protagonist or a protagonist that you could relate to and maybe how you empathized with this character.
0: That's a really good question. For me, A lot of the games that I have played whether they're shooters or not are from a first-person perspective so like you said you're usually only seeing the hands of the character and the world in front of them so you are quite literally sharing their perspective and one of the most famous game series in recent memory is Bioshock in which you are playing as a first-person character they are technically shooters but they also involve other kinds of powers that your character will have in these game worlds usually because of genetic modifications that the people in this world have undergone. So in Bioshock, and I warn people who intend to play this game at some point in the future, I am going to spoil some of the story, it's very interesting. You wake up basically after a plane crash in the middle of the ocean, and you're at this lighthouse, and you end up going deep down into the sea to this utopian society, called Rapture, except everything's gone completely horribly wrong. People who have engaged in this genetic manipulation have become addicted to the drug that allowed them to do it. They're running rampant. The society's completely collapsed. And it was not the utopian vision of equality that the creator envisioned.
1: And in the story, why is it that people are using these genetic modifications, just to give our audience some clarification? A
0: lot of them are created by Ryan Industries, sort of the corporate antagonist in the game to make life easier. Some allow you to light fires from a distance and in the game they're advertised to the hypothetical consumers as, you know, cook things without needing to use cooking oil or whatever. And so you're going into this world and neither you nor the protagonist know what's going on. You're led forward by radio broadcasts and journals, often audio diaries that you're listening to, tapes that other characters have left behind in this completely abandoned setting, and you are still underwater, so you look out the window and there's sharks swimming by. It's very interesting, and to get back to the protagonist, I think one of the reasons I connected most with this protagonist, who is nameless, is because you both, the character and the player, enter the world as equals. Neither of you know what's going on. Neither of you have a sense of belonging or purpose yet. You are being led through the world as this helpless character who gradually gets more powers as you defend yourself from these splicers, these addicts to the drugs and other things. There are monsters that you have to sort of take down. And you also meet some characters who remain from this fallen utopian society, some of the people who are higher in power who have just gone insane, and you still hear glimpses and little bits of their ideology about why this utopia should have worked. And it's just fascinating because you don't respond to them. You're a silent protagonist, as we've made many mentions of. And it's very interesting to go through that world, you as the player being sort of a witness to everything that's going on. You're not given the sense that you're actually impacting anything or that you have any role. And it's fascinating.
1: So, hearing about this nameless protagonist, I'm thinking about other protagonists. Now, I'm going to go back for a second to another shooter. Please do. Um, I guess, yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of shooters that we're talking about today. There's this one game called Duke Nukem. And Duke Nukem started off as a side-scroller, I think, in the late 80s, early 90s, and it was bought out, or maybe just advanced, they used a different engine and became a, a 3D shooter type game. But Duke Nukem had a very strong personality. He's overly macho, he has a blonde military haircut, he wears sunglasses, he has a cigar in his mouth, and he has lines like... Hail to the king, baby, that's exactly what he says. Or other things that are are crueler and cruder. But it's almost on the opposite side of the spectrum of protagonists, where in this case you're put into the shell of this character. This character or the protagonist that you're playing as already has a personality, and you are just playing through this character. On the other end of that spectrum, I think on the most extreme end, is a game like fable i don't know have you ever played fable i've
0: heard of it i haven't actually played it so
1: in fable you start off as this character now fable's a third person game so you're seeing the character from outside but you play as this character as a child onward and the perk of this game when it came out i think 10 years ago was that it offered immense customizability of this protagonist. You can make the protagonist good or evil, and as you made these choices throughout the world, and you could change your haircut, you could get tattoos, you could get bigger or smaller, depending if you did a lot of fighting or you did a lot of magic, but also if you did good things, you would get a halo eventually, and if you were bad, you would get these horns that just grew out of your head. And while it offered almost a sense or this illusion of having your own unique character, the changes available were very much set in stone. You could only get so evil and you could only get so good. And every other stat that was available in the game, whether it was magic or fighting, there was a limit to each one. And so I think it's interesting with a game like Bioshock where you have a nameless protagonist, where in in Bioshock you only see his hands. don't ever see his mm-hmm. face. Very true. The person playing as this character and going through this journey also, in a way, molds the the appearance of this character to themselves and to their own beliefs. And there are choices available in Bioshock. For example, there are these little girls who walk around this uh, desolate landscape with these large menacing...
0: Robots, basically.
1: Robots, yeah. And you can either save these little girls from this evil force that's taking them over or you can kill them and what I find interesting about this is that the game doesn't give you that much information about this character and lets you fill in the gaps for yourself as well as all these bits of information that they throw at you
0: right well to clarify some of the descriptions of what you can do after you save the little girls from these these robots you can either save them and you sort of purify them they're sent off and you do later get rewards for being altruistic towards them And if you don't do that, technically you're killing them, but the game describes it as harvesting them for this genetic material that you can use to upgrade your character, which is technically killing, but the game doesn't frame it as that. Although I'm sure plenty of horrified listeners would still feel that it is as bad as killing. And it's a dark game, it's definitely a dark game, but I want to go back to what you talked about with morality and the good and evil in Fable, and go to one of my other favorite games, which is called Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic it's a pretty well-known game it was actually recently ported or made playable on the apple ipad so you can play it on the ipad it's a very very beloved game it's an rpg which stands for role-playing game and you decide a lot of what goes on in the game so it is similar to bioshock in that you wake up as a character in this case you're in the star wars universe and you don't know who you are and you get to sculpt certain aspects of your face and your physical attributes and your gender for example but you don't know much about your character and you gradually come to earn force powers and again a spoiler for anyone who wants to play this game do not listen to the following but you later learn who you are you've been having flashbacks throughout the game and you come to find out that you're actually a sith lord so you're an evil um, user of the force which is this ubiquitous concept in the star wars universe And it's interesting because you've forgotten your past. And so, again, from the beginning of the game, the player is sculpting this character. And I think to touch on what you talked about with morality, you get to decide what choices this character makes. And there's no voice acting for your character, but there are text-based conversations that you have with other people in the world of the character. You fly to different worlds. Some of them, like Tatooine, are actually a part of the Star Wars universe, so people who have seen the movies would recognize that and you get to talk to people. Let's say someone has lost their visa and they need to get off the planet. You can give them yours and that'll give you altruistic points which push you towards the light side of the spectrum or you can lie to them somehow and actually end up taking advantage of their situation for money or for something else that might boost your character but is deemed morally evil and you're pushed towards the dark side of the force and that actually has repercussions in combat. If you want to use light side force powers you gain a bonus and it's easier to use them if you have a light side character and conversely if your character is evil it's easier and easier to use things like force lightning which again makes an appearance in the Star Wars movies and it's really fascinating for me to think about because I usually play as characters that make light side decisions but I also think that In terms of human psychology, I personally would argue that we all have urges that are not societally acceptable to do bad things or to take advantage of others for personal gain. And although we suppress them because we live in a society, I would argue that psychologically they're still there. Maybe they're buried deep down and they're primitive, but I still think they're there. And so I think that in a context of a game, as long as you still recognize that it is a game and that it's not reality and that the two should not bleed together, and I highlight that point, I don't find fault with people who do quote-unquote evil things in video games as long as they don't blur the distinction between reality and the game. If you went around taking advantage of people in real life that is morally reprehensible and problematic and I'm not encouraging that but I do think as a form of sort of catharsis I don't think there's anything wrong with playing as quote-unquote an evil character in a game. I think it's similar to identifying with a villain in a book. and I don't think it's problematic so I think playing as an evil protagonist Is interesting and has led me to think a lot about what it means to be a protagonist in any art form but what do you think about that moral spectrum and what it means as it relates to the player?
1: I absolutely agree with you that there is a drive and I think all humans to have you know there are these urges that we we feel and I think that video games are a form of expressing those feelings and I think in part that shows through the sales of Grand Theft Auto, the most recent Grand Theft Auto game. Yeah,
0: definitely. Uh,
1: I mean, to our listeners, if you've never played Grand Theft Auto, this is probably one of the most violent games or, I guess, id-provoking games. Yeah, it's
0: graphic, and there's a lot of sexual and violent content.
1: Yeah, I mean, the whole point of the game is stealing cars, killing people, making money and sure I guess you could play safely in a way you could stop at red lights you could make sure you drive safely but then you are missing a large part of this game which is escaping from the police officers there's a whole uh, star system where if you do more and more bad things more and more officers will come at you and in fact even the army will start going after you and they'll send tanks after
0: mm-hmm. you. the SWAT team um, yeah
1: But I've introduced Grand Theft Auto to friends who have never played it before, and the first reaction they have is, oh, this is so much fun. This is so exciting. And I remember being a kid, and now I'm just going to go to a quick story. Go for it. Um, My dad hated, you know, games like Grand Theft Auto, or especially Grand Theft Auto, and I understood his perspective. I've watched the game from an outside perspective, and it is kind of creepy to, you know, watch somebody just staring into a screen and just shooting people and whatnot. But again, I I just look at my... Myself and I, I thought to myself, well, I've played this game, but I haven't had any urges in my real life to do any of these things. So I think it is in a a healthy way of expressing these feelings. You don't care to hurt anybody in real life, but these avatars on the screen are just that—they're avatars. They're pieces of information that have been produced specifically to look like humans but in the end of the day that's all they are they are just these avatars that you can play with it's just another game and it looks a little realer but i think it's interesting to think about when my dad would say hey don't kill the protagonist hey don't shoot at those people and how i felt like it was no big deal in my head i knew that it was just a game it was just information coming from a cd but i think that as time goes on, I think it will become more socially acceptable as more people play video games and go into these worlds to say, yeah, it doesn't really matter to kill people in a video game or kill these pieces of information in a video game. But I think it is interesting to consider this empathy that we feel towards these violent characters or towards the characters that you end up killing or hurting in some way. So Kip, you told me that you were interested in usually playing as an altruistic type character. Have there ever been times where you've played a game and you've tried to go for the morally evil choice. I wanted to ask this because there's this one game, one other protagonist that interests me is this character called Wander, or Wanda, I think in the Japanese version of this game called Shadow of the Colossus. This is one of my favorite games. It came out for PlayStation 2 a few years ago, quite a few years ago actually, and Again, the protagonist is largely silent. The protagonist is this boy, he rides on a horse, and there's this mysterious entity in this big temple who tells him to go off and slay these giants. And so using the tools at your disposal, so your horse and your sword, you find these giants and you climb up their backs because they're absolutely enormous, they're, they're the size of buildings and you you kill them and they drop and it's a huge collapse and the reason you're killing them is because in the beginning you want to revive your your love and she's died and so she's on the center of this temple and this mysterious force is telling you you have to slay these giants in order to resurrect her and so you go off but as you progress through the game you discover that And again, this is a spoiler to anybody who hasn't played this game, and I would highly recommend playing the game, that you are killing the guardians of this land, and that these guardians aren't evil, and they're not necessarily good either. They're neutral. They are meant to govern this land. And you, as the protagonist, are unknowingly helping the antagonist. And I just think that's an interesting case, because in the end of that game, you do resurrect the girl that you love, but you end up dying in the process, which is a result of destroying the guardians of this land. So I I was just wondering if there were perhaps any storylines that might have even caught you by surprise in that you ended up being the antagonist instead of the protagonist.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, you make a very good case for things like that, which I think are very interesting stories. I think they complicate and sort of blur the lines between what is good and evil, and I think that's important because personally I believe there is a gradient. There are some things that seem good on some end, but evil to others. There are some things that seem like necessary evils that at times we forgive in both games and in reality. And while I won't spoil what series this is because the following constitute two of my favorite games ever, and I've played very, very many. In this particular series, you play as protagonists that you believe to be good, and you follow them throughout these very lengthy, sometimes 40 plus hour adventures, and you make the decisions that you believe you should make in terms of the worlds that they inhabit and the characters that you meet. And in both games, there are twists around the halfway mark where you find out, I think much like Shadow of the Colossus, that you've either been helping forces of evil or that you've been hindering forces of good and making it more difficult for that world to thrive on a positive level, and it's very interesting. And so usually if there is a moral scale to a game that I'm aware of from the beginning, I tend to choose either that I wanna play as an evil character for fun or as a moral character, usually because it represents what I would have done in that world, but there have been times where you commit unknowing evil. You're not aware of what you're actually doing. And I think that's really, really interesting. So I don't know that I've chosen very often to play as evil characters. There are definitely some interesting side stories where you do choose to be evil. And I think it's curious to see, but more often than not, you find out that your hero is not who you thought the hero was yeah. or that they've been doing things accidentally. But those are some of my thoughts on video game protagonists before we close this episode. Do you have any last comments on protagonists and how the players relate to protagonists?
1: Yeah, I think one other thing about protagonists that we might delve into in a future episode is that there are certain protagonists, for example, the first ones we mentioned, Link, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, Mario, who are so immensely popular. They have their solid character, they have who they are, but they are so likable in their personality or in the way that they were created that they've lasted for years and years and years, for 20 years, the three of them have um, lasted. And they, they've they survived recreations and remakes of these games. And every once in a while, you'll get a new protagonist who enters this realm of, or this hall of fame of protagonists. For example, Master Chief in the Halo series, I think is immensely famous. My parents know who <laughs> Master Chief mm-hmm. is. And I think when your parents, at, who aren't video gamers, know who a character is, yeah that the game has almost surpassed itself and you know they might not know the story but that character has some quality that
0: it resonates
1: it resonates yes with our society in some way and i think that's fascinating
0: yeah for sure we should definitely at some point talk about the popularity of video games and specifically video game characters that have longevity and like you said have survived certain remakes yeah. but i really enjoyed this conversation i'm glad that we Me too had it there's a lot more to say on video games of course but to our audience As always, we wanna make this a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. So let us know what you think. We'd really appreciate honest reviews on iTunes and even on our website or Facebook if you have that inclination. We also want your comments. Are there video game protagonists that you have found particularly memorable that we did not discuss? Or for those of you who are not avid gamers or even gamers at all, has any of our conversation reminded you of movie protagonists or even literary protagonists that you think there's some interesting form of comparison or contrast between video game protagonists and other protagonists in human art or entertainment, we'd really love to know. And Hector, if they want to reach us, how might they go about doing that?
1: Well, you could visit us on Twitter, Stride and saunter. Visit us on Facebook. Email us at strideandsaunter at gmail.com. Or visit our website, stridentsaunter.com And
0: And of course, as always, we thank you for listening, and from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off.
1: And this is Hector Marrero. My last name without vowels is Myrrh.